Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to GTP Keeper Radio, episode number 20. This is what Bill and I have titled the Novice GTP Keeper Show. It's Sunday, November 12th, 2017, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on the East Coast, for all you that are taking note. And I'm joined by Bill Stagel. First time Bill and I have been together for a show since the spring. Our schedules have not worked out. Uh, for the July and September show, but tonight we are reunited again. Look out, podcast world. This could be trouble. How you doing, my friend? I'm good, Bill. How are you? Good. I missed you, man. <laughs> missed you, too. Yeah, you know, I wasn't even thinking about it. We had, uh, you had the pod, the NIDO virus podcast that I couldn't attend. And then the last one we did, you weren't able to attend because you were working. And so, yeah, that puts us three months down. Yeah. How about that? Well, listen, buddy, before we get too far into the show, uh, I wanted to take a minute to uh, tell you Happy Veterans Day and to uh, personally thank you and the other listeners out there that might have served in our armed forces. A very heartwarming thank you for your service. Uh, you are certainly welcome, and I appreciate everyone recognizing our veterans and, and taking the time to, to thank them for what they've done. Tell uh, tell our audience what uh, what branch of the service you were in and how you served our country. Sure. So uh, fresh out of high school, I enlisted in the U.S. Air Force, um, and they sent me to be a firefighter. Um, I never had any aspirations as a, a young person to actually do that career field, so I was full of apprehension um, to be selected to do that job. And um, going through the initial training, I just kind of fell in love with with the whole aspect of, of the job that uh, firefighters do. And um, not long after I was 
joined the military, I was, the we the career field I was in was downsized, and I was offered an opportunity to uh, uh, either just leave, separate, or uh, stay with the reserve unit. So I finished out my time. I retired from a reserve unit, and I did the same job. Um, and uh, as a firefighter, and it led me to a fantastic career as a civilian. So I'm very grateful for the opportunities that have been afforded me because of my military training and, and uh, you know, somehow figuring out that I would do well in a career field I had no idea about. And, um, it was interesting to work with a lot of great people um, that I'm still in touch with today who have uh, – you know, stayed with him, stayed in the fire service, and continued to serve their communities. And and uh, some of them are still overseas. Um, we know in the military and doing doing what we like to do. So it was it was a pleasure, an, an eye-opening experience. Um, if you are a young person, and you're thinking about you know joining the military. I would seriously consider it uh, just for the uh, leadership opportunities that can be given to you at an age probably much younger than any other uh, career, especially if you're thinking, you know, as far as leadership, uh, developing leadership qualities that you can use throughout your life. Yeah, it sounds like you were kind of the poster boy for, you know, somebody right out of high school, maybe you weren't exactly sure what you wanted to do, but the uh, the military gave you a chance to, uh, you know, kind of grow and and gave you a skill set and gave you an introduction to probably a lot of things you would not have seen as a 18 or 19 year old uh, young man right off the bat. And then gave you that ability to transition sounds like pretty successfully into civilian life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because I thought I knew what I wanted to do. I was going in, I was going to, you know, do a, do a term and get some, you know, stash away money for college and, use a GI Bill, but ironically, I, I went through my pretty much my entire adult life after retiring from the service and then pretty much being done with the fire services when I actually went back to college and, and finished out that degree I'd been hemming and hauling about for the past 20 yeah. years previous. So, Well, fantastic. You know, they're talking on the, some of the media shows today that none of us would be sitting here listening to uh, GTP Keeper Radio, you know, free airwaves, free rights to listen to what we want or watch what we want or think what we want um, without people uh, sacrificing for their country. And so I'm very appreciative of that. Well, and so am I. So am I. Well, let's move on to some Condro stuff. What You've been posting yeah. a lot of pictures. Yeah, I know you. You yeah. still have your hands full. Have you have you downsized any of those those babies that you've had, or are you just hoarding them all? <laughs> um, I I sold a few as a result of uh, Tinley. Um, I still have yeah, nice. You know, quite a few babies still here, which I'm okay with because um, you know that's to me part of the fun of Condros is is watching those babies change and. Um, you know, I always send all the good ones out to you, Bill, and you send me pictures of what they look like <laughs> later. And um, I'm, I'm so, yeah, a, a lot of them, uh, absolutely. And so a lot of them are still here. And, um, you know, just going to, you know, I'm not too concerned about moving animals. Um, you know, so they're here and they're, you know, doing all the fun condor stuff, eating and shedding and pooping. And some of them are starting to go through a so, change, which is fun to watch. So. 
So everybody's established at your place. All your yeah. all your condors are established. Yeah, nice. That's a nice place to yeah, be. Yeah, that is. That you know, is. we uh, and I was going to say uh, you mentioned Tinley. Eric and Owen had a Tinley recap show, but this is the first time we've been on the air or really even maybe talked much since Tinley. That that sure was a good time. Yes, it was. There were a lot of condor people there, and it was uh, good to see meet a lot of people in person for the first time, and just and hang yeah. out with some of the the regular crew that I have known for years. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad you brought animals, and I know you uh, you did well at the show. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm happy for you. Yeah, and you know, thank you. You were able to bail me out many a times when I needed to leave the table to uh, have a natural <laughs> break. Um, it was great to have you there to, to come over and hang out and, and uh, keep me company and did, cover the table for me. Did I make all your sales for you or did you end up making one or two? Yes. No, no, you actually, I think everyone, everyone <laughs> closed, closed was a direct deal. consequence of it, of, of an interaction with you. Um, they actually, I think they thought I worked for you. Um, so that, you know, that's just the way it goes. Well, we're just known as. Buddy and Bill, so it doesn't really matter what we get called, you know. It's Buddy and Bill. This, this is true. That's right. That is true. That is true. Um, but I have to say, it was my first time at Tinley, and um, I haven't been to a reptile show of that quality in probably at least a decade. Um, wow. So it was good to see a nice quality reptile show that was, you know, the other part of the reptile show is also the people that come to the show. So it was also very well attended, which, you know, which is is good to see. And um, at least for me, the, the best part is watching the the young children pass by the front of your table and, and just see their eyes light up and stare at things. And, you know, I get more excitement out of watching that than I do, I guess, of, you know, selling snakes. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that that's a great experience, just seeing those young people um, stare at, stare at the cages and the animals and just have the amazement in their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, and you're right. That show was well attended. I don't know how sales went for people across the board. Um, but there was a lot of, a lot of traffic, a lot of foot traffic, uh, in those two days. So that was good to see. Yep. Yep. And I got to meet, uh, well, I was with Matt Manitola, which, you know, Matt, Matt's a really good guy. And, um, but I got to yep. meet, of, meet Keith Billy Herbst. Yep. Yeah. 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 Great Keith guy. Was a, a, yeah, really nice guy. I've never I've heard the name, uh, but I never, I've never met him and talked with him, but it was good to uh, meet him and talk to him and, and just, you know, get a sense of what he's about and what he's working with. Yeah. Very good. But you've, you actually came to Tinley on the weekend. You had a, a clutch hatching. Um, how was that experience? Yeah, it was good. It seems like I always have like a marquee clutch hatching at Tinley. Um, or I had a, a marquee clutch hatching at ICAST that I had my phone, my son on the phone sending me pictures and trying to pry into the egg and say, is it this, is it that? And, you know, it just kind of seems like that's my history of having a awesome clutch pipping uh, while I'm away. But uh, I wasn't nervous. I had some good help here, and um, it was fun to come back. And I think about 80% of them had come out of the egg by the time I got back. But it was it was cool. 
and now those things, uh, you know, I'm, I'm establishing those with some help from a local kid here, uh, Brian Phillips. And, uh, that's been, it's been fun. You know how that goes. Jason Stevens knows how that goes. Evan will know yes. how that that goes one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> True that. But it's been, it's been fun. Yep. Establishing Condors. So did, did they eat right away or was, is there a lot, did you have to work them really hard or? No, I felt like had to this use? one, only the things that you've shown me, only the, only the special little tricks that you've shown me. So this, this clutch okay. was much nicer. And I had 18 babies and the first go around 18 out of 18, eight. So which wow. I was ecstatic about the, the last clutch or two clutches prior to this one I had 23 babies and three of them ate so um I was just ecstatic just couldn't kept believing every time I opened a, a tub and I saw a tongue flicker or a or a head jerk and you know sure enough which is with some teasing gentle or not so gentle they all they all managed to eat everybody's got three meals in them now except I've got one who uh who ate initially and then has not wanted to eat since so I'm going to twist the ear of you and and uh, Jason Stevens here down the road a little bit and see if uh, you guys have had that experience before or what uh, maybe to uh, to try different or I'm not sure why I'd eat the first time and then, you know, pretty refuse pretty adamantly. So we'll talk about that later. Gotcha. So there is a there is a relationship between Jason Stevens and this clutch, though, correct? That hatched? There, there is the sire of the clutch that hatched, um, Jason and Ryan Burke, uh, produced, the uh, the sire, it's a gems animal. And it was, I call him son of B, not because of his temperament, because his sire, his name was Bainan. So, so, uh, it was a Bainan, Jason Stevens animal, um, and he can give maybe a little more history about that animal. And he bred it to uh, a blue artifact that Ryan Burke owned. Uh, so the lineage is awesome in the clutch. And uh, I was just pumped, you know, that 18 babies came out. They were all red. And it looks like they're all going to get established. So couldn't nice. the Chondro God smiled on me. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. There you go. So well, have you been over we, to the MVF lately? Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you, um, I I totally meant to do it. It's been a few days since I've been over there, so I'm not really up to, to speed on the happenings there. I know you posted some pictures there of your babies, um, but I'm kind of blanking out on what else is over there. Uh, your, your clutch is over there that you just hatched? Um and one of the guys we were hanging out with at Tinley, John Irby, also hatched out a clutch, and he has some photos That's right. there of some of those animals. So congrats That's right. to John. Yep. Yeah, his clutch and, and my clutch, I think we're, we're hatching right at about the same time because I, I talked to John and while we were in Tinley, and this was either a few days before me or a few days after, I think. Gotcha. Okay. No drama? No drama right. on the MVF? No, no drama. That's a good thing. Good. You ready to bring the big boys on? 
Yeah, I'm going to. Let's do this. So Jason Stevens and Evan Browder, welcome to GTP Keeper Radio. How you guys doing? This is Jason. I'm doing pretty good. What's up, guys? <laughs> not much, not much. Thanks Very for joining us. to be on here. Good. Yeah. Hey. First time listener, first time caller. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know, that's uh, Jason Stevens of Colorado Condros. He um, was and still is a member of the Morelia Virtus Forum. And Jason was always one of the guys for me when I was first uh, trying to figure out and still figuring out things about Condros. Anytime Jason posted, I always would very carefully read his response, and uh, he was always very open and forthright with his information and advice to everyone, and I think on more than one occasion, he was actually able to say, hey, I think somebody else has uh, got a better idea than I do. So, you know, Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Um, you've been a longtime uh, member of the Condor community, and uh, you you also do... Uh, lend a hand helping us moderate the MVF on Facebook, the, the forum over there. So thank you for your time and, and your involvement in the community. Thanks. It's uh, it's fun to be here. It's, it's been a fun ride. You know, I think the thing I love about green trees in the community, when you hit on it, is everybody's always been open to sharing as much information and accepting of new information because, let me tell you, nobody's figured out green trees yet, and anybody that tells you they have doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been it's been a great community to be a part of from the beginning, and it's kind of cool to see how it's changed over time. Um, you know, I wasn't there in the beginning with Trooper and those guys. I I didn't get into it until you know the late '90s, early 2000s. So it's only been 10 years for me. Um, but just in that time to see who's come in and who's left and the changes and husbandry and breeding and pretty significant. Well, Jason, you're, um, you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, but you're a, a teacher. Is that correct? I am. I'm a high school teacher. I mostly teach biology. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> been teaching for 14 years or so. Um, You're in your master's program, is that right? I am. I'm working on my master's right now in in education with a focus in conservation biology. Um, What else? Well, that's fantastic. Um, I'll uh, I'll echo Buddy's um, thanks for all that you participate in the community. Especially, you know, on the Facebook, I think a lot of the maybe the chondro keepers of of your generation um, were hesitant to get on Facebook. I think more joining joining now, but um, certainly there's a lot more new chondro keepers eyes on Facebook than on the MVF. Obviously, we try to get them to that uh, site, but uh, you're always a welcome site when we see you post there. <coughs> I've tried to be a little more active lately. Some some friends have been poking me to be a little more involved on the Facebook side of MVF. Um, in the past, I, I really only jumped on when there was just 
absolutely false information being <laughs> read. And, right. you know, otherwise, I didn't feel the need to get involved. Um, but it's fun posting pictures now and then. But with grad, graduate school going on and trying to raise my own boys, um, I've kind of stepped back from breeding quite a bit. So I didn't pair anything this year. The only thing I paired was my black milk snakes because my adult breeders are getting kind of old and I needed to replace them. Um, but other than that, this is the first year in 10 years that I haven't produced green tree pythons. And wow. hearing you guys talk, hearing you guys talk has been, you know, it's a little remorseful for me because despite the trials and tribulations of trying to start a clutch, you know, I actually miss it. But at the same time, I don't. You know, there's, <laughs> I look back at those years of having, you know, 70 or 80 baby green trees oh, downstairs God. that I had to establish. And I, I I don't know how guys do it. You know, when Rico was producing, you know, a couple of hundred a year, it just, you know, I, it, it's been really nice actually stepping back and uh, just kind of focusing on maintenance husbandry this year. And, you know, it's, it's been relaxing. Yeah. Yep. No, your that's, family's that's really well. I was going to say that's going to be really, really a neat experience though to you know hatch out your own green trees because I listen to all you guys and you know all of you guys are have produced or are producing and I'm over here like grow. You know what I mean? Like I need <laughs> you guys to grow so I can try. Yep. When you know, I was really fortunate when I started out. Um, I'll kind of give you the backstory. You know, I've, I've worked with snakes since I was a little kid and loved snakes, but I really didn't get into captive breeding until I was an adult and I had a career as a teacher and I had bought a house and I could dedicate a room to working with animals. Um, and, you know, I just kind of had a, a collection of stuff that I had liked since I was a kid, and um, I had always really been interested in arboreals. So I first started working with Amazon tree boas because a local guy had a clutch. But a friend of mine introduced me to green trees, and, you know, I was hooked immediately. And we live right down the road from Bushmasters, so I was able to get a couple of groups from Cameron of babies and raise them up. But at the same time, my friend that introduced me had a couple of adults. Um, and he said, hey, if you want to work with them, give them a shot. And uh, so, you know, within the first couple years between Nick um, and another friend or two, including Ryan Burke, um, I had access to already established adults. Um, and just having access to that, not having to raise babies up for four years and having these really solid, um, healthy, well-established adults that were established in Colorado. Yeah. You know, they didn't have to be shipped. They didn't have to move. And, you know, they were already um, used to our low humidity, that kind of thing. Um, so I was just really fortunate that, I had access to these adults that people trusted me with, and I was able to breed within my first two years. That's a luxury. Nice. That's an unusual, unusual uh, set of circumstances. That's for sure. Yep. 
you know, and, the, and on top of that, a couple years later, um, Eddie Asti, um, some of you might know he was part of the original Chondro Coalition, um, one of Rico Walter's best friends. Uh, I had bought one of my first breeder males from Eddie, and uh, I also bought a blue line baby from him that I raised up. That was Sim Baby. Uh, and about a year after that, he moved out here, and he moved within 20 minutes of my house. So <laughs> not, not only did I have access to some adult green trees, which really helped my initial breeding success, but I had access to Eddie Asti, you know, one of the founding fathers that came up with Rico and Trooper and Johnny Blue, and he lived right down the street, so he loaned me an incubator, you know, he wow. he loaned me meals, and we did a couple of projects together, and we would watch each other's animals over break. So I was just really fortunate to have um, such a great mentor with Eddie right down the road. And, you, you know, Eddie doesn't come free. He comes with Rico. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I had, for, for better and worse, I had access to Rico um, as well, and when they're real, they were dealers. You know, when I think back to it, you know, they they're the they were the pushermen that got me addicted to chondros. They're like, here, check out this baby, check out this locality, and you know what? I remember one of the first things that Rico told me when Eddie moved out here and Rico drove him out here with all the snakes, all the cages. Um, Eddie's dog, I mean, just a truck full of shit. And after Eddie got moved in, we met up for dinner. It was the first time I had met Rico. And we had bought, my friends and I had bought a couple of snakes from Rico. And Rico looked at us across the table and said, so how many green trees do you guys have now? And I said, oh, I think we have about, you know, six adult pairs between us. And Rico's response was, oh, <laughs> yeah, Rico was go big or go home, huh? Well, I think at that point he only had about 200 animals. It was nothing compared to the <laughs> 600 you know, he had later on. Hmm. That's insane. Yep. So, how many animals do you have now, Jason? Uh, green trees, I'm down to just a few dozen. I have about, oh, about 20 adults, I'd say. Um, I have about another dozen juveniles I'm raising up. Wow. And then maybe six or seven yearlings. So I've, I've really cut down on my collection in the past couple of years, just trying to focus on family in grad school. You know, you guys are giggling. I bet that's, you know, that's, you know, there was a point where I had, you know, over 20 adult females because really if, if you're going to consistently produce green trees, you know, to the magnitude where you can have a table at Tinley, you need to have about that many animals. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I could imagine having 20 just females, you know, 20 green trees. But yeah. I'm working no, on it. Uh, 
full time full time job at that at that point. True story. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy well, until you know, the babies hatch. Yeah. Right. Yeah, husbandry, um, and, and Jason, we hope you'll talk some husbandry, and, and obviously uh, we're going to officially introduce uh, Evan here eventually. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we've tried to I'm, – I'm saying this because you have you never listened to the show, Jason, is we try to <laughs> tell people <laughs> – I'm just poking you a little. Is we try to explain, you know, to relatively newcomers that chondro husbandry is not difficult. Um, you know, it's you get get animals established, you get the right equipment, and just you know, with a, a little bit of knowledge and some access to some decent information, they're really they're quite easy to keep. And you know, their their husbandry is just no, not significantly different than than anything that most other things other people are keeping. So we try to hit on that a lot. Um, so, and we'll hit on it some tonight. Yeah, I agree completely. I think, uh, uh, I think you just need to be aware of your local conditions in husbandry. You know, in Colorado, we're really dry. <laughs> and if you're keeping down in Florida, it's really humid. So I, I think humidity is an important part of keeping green trees. And once you figure that out in hydration, um, they're no more difficult than anything else. Yeah, now I love talking you know, to you. They're still not as easy, you know, as a as a corn snake, but they're no more difficult than any other species. In intermediate, you'd consider them an intermediate level uh, reptile. Is that correct? Intermediate level. Yeah, absolutely. To keep. I, I think I think pretty much um, most people that have captive reptile husbandry experience are capable of breeding them. You know, I don't think they're along the lines of the species we haven't bred yet, like sure. um, like Holmes and Bolands and things that just haven't only been reproduced in captivity. So, my scale is um, you know based on captive reproduction. If if they're breeding in captivity, then um, then you're keeping them right. Yeah. So yeah, as far as that goes, you know, they're an intermediate species. You know, it's not like it's not you know African house snakes that you have to stop from breeding, um, and, and they're not <laughs> as easy as a lot of colubrids, just you know, based on our environment. But most people with basic knowledge and healthy animals from captive stock um, should be able to breed them. I I agree. I agree 100. percent Buddy, well, let's take a minute and and oh, go ahead. No, no. I mean, breeding them is one thing, but getting the babies eating and to market—that's a whole nother story. Agreed. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. That's one of the many. One of the many steps, I think the eggs are a little more fragile in the incubation period uh, than some species we work with. But, yeah, if those things hatch, yeah, it's a different game. Yeah. Buddy, why don't you take a second? Let's uh, let's introduce Evan and let him uh, tell the listeners a little bit about himself. I've never heard him be this quiet for this long, so. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> So, yep, welcome, welcome, Evan, Evan Browder. He's, uh, 
if you're on social media, you've seen Evan post in the, both more like Morelia pick of the week and also on uh, he participates in the Green Tree Python forums on Facebook. He's also um, uh, helps coordinate the uh, Southern Carpet Fest with you, Bill. Correct? And that's correct. And so he's he's definitely involved with the community. And the idea for the show actually came from a post on Facebook. Uh, Bill and I had sent someone some advice and included a link to our podcast. And the person that kind of said, your, your podcasts are great, but they really, he felt they missed the mark for people who are completely new to Condros. And um, so we had thought that, you know, maybe we need to uh, step back and take a look at our at our, at our show and maybe do a show that's geared more towards people who are new to uh, Green Tree Python in general. And um, I was able to have Jason come on and Bill was able to talk to Evan and come on. And essentially that how the show is going to work is Evan's going to pretty much talk to Jason about uh, the uh, keeping Green Tree Pythons and Bill and I will laugh in the background. Um, but Evan, go ahead and talk to us and tell us about how you got into chondros and, uh, or, or snakes in general. All right. Well, first I'd just like to tell you guys, thanks for even considering having me on. Uh, I'm quiet bill because I'm learning. <laughs> I feel like, you know, that's, that's the best way to learn is to shut your mouth and pay attention. Uh, I like that, but I've, I've, I've been, I've been keeping snakes, you know, pretty much all my life since I was a little kid, uh, Condros, I got turned on to Condros by a book that my wife actually just ordered me the other day called Birdie. I don't know if you guys have read that book. It's a, it's a kid's book about a green tree python. And I just fell in love with green trees. You know, there's they're some cool snakes. Uh, reading, you know, books in the library, going to the zoos and seeing them. But I think, you know, the whole addiction that I have now is Bill fault. I blame I'll Bill one responsibility. <laughs> you know, it's it's like Jason was saying, it's great having somebody that is local to you that keeps animals that you're interested in because you learn so much firsthand. You get to see their collection and see how they do things. You know, it's a lot different than just hearing it. You know, if you can actually visually, you know, see it and see what the ins and outs and what goes on, you know, it, it's, it, it just kicks that addiction into gear. So, yeah, Bill being pretty local, he's about 30 minutes from me. It's all his fault. <laughs> That's one good thing I've one good thing I've done, one positive influence I've had on you at least. Oh, there's been several. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> there's been several, but the Condro the Condro addiction is is by far the greatest. All right. All right, mm-hmm. awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on, and um, I'm glad you're here. I know you're excited to do the show, and um, yeah, you know, I've thanked you a lot um, for your help in Carpet Fest. Evan really is Southern Carpet Fest. I have it at my house, but he's uh, he's the brains and the uh, gets most of the stuff done so we can actually have it here, so, um, you know, and that's always a great time, and I would encourage our listeners, anybody that can get to one of the carpet fests, uh, the Northeast Carpet Fest, Southern, I think there's about six of them now, uh, really encourage you guys to do it, to get it, or to go to a show like Tinley, where you get a chance to meet people that you may only know through uh, Facebook or Instagram or the MVF, 
get to meet them and talk to them in person makes a huge difference. You will not regret uh, coming, you know, spend the 500 bucks and, and get to a, a carpet fest. Yeah, or especially, especially the carpet fest. And the uh, I, I, I was unfortunate I missed uh, ICAST, but, you know, being able to talk to these guys that do this for, you know, the passion, that do it full-time, that do it, you know, part-time, whatever, it, it's so much different at a, at a like a car, carpet fest atmosphere because it's just more relaxed. People aren't trying to make sales and make money. They're just hanging out. And so you get some really nice quality one-on-one time or, you know, little group setting, and you learn so much about people. Whereas at a show, you know, they're, they're, they'll talk to you, but they're, they're generally pretty busy. And uh, it's just not, uh, Carpet Fest is just wonderful. And I know a lot of people. The first thing when we talk about Carpet Fest, I always hear is, "Well, I don't, I don't know anything about carpet." And we just try to explain to people, you know, it just it kind of got that name from the original Carpet Fest, and it's really just a love and passion for all, you know, reptiles. Really, we don't care what you have, even if you don't like snakes. We tell people come out, you know, and just meet some people, especially at Bill's house. You know, he's he's quick to put something in your hands and talk to you about it, and it's it's a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this, this is Jason, and I'd I'd echo those remarks. You know, one of the best things you can do to learn is you can go to the show, and Tinley is amazing, but the learning really happens at about <sighs> nine o'clock at at the Holiday Inn. You know, when you're sitting out on the patio, there's hundreds of years of knowledge compiled sitting on that patio drinking beer. Um, And, you know, I've learned more sitting on that patio until four in the morning talking to keepers of bearded dragons and ball pythons and every other species. You know, it doesn't have to be green trees. Um, But just that collegiality, that camaraderie that comes around when there's those big meetings of keepers, that's what you need to get into um, because Facebook doesn't do it. Um, you, you can have those little short tidbits and sound bites on Facebook, but it's nothing like having a face-to-face eye contact meeting with a keeper that's been, you know, some of these people have been doing it all their lives. And you'll be sitting there on that patio or in someone's backyard, and you look around at the people you're surrounded by, and they're people that have written books that you've been reading since you were a little kid. You know, there's there'll be a dozen people that were the first person to breed a species sitting around you, and the wealth of knowledge you cannot access anywhere else. But if you go to Tinley, if you go to any of the big shows, they're sitting right next to you. You know, all you got to do is buy them a beer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When we were at ICAF, when we're sitting in that room in ICAF and you're looking around, you know, with Trooper and Rico and um, – and I'm just blanking all. Cameron was there, you know. These guys yeah. are the godfathers of not only green trees, but of you know every species out there. Um, who was the did boa you, breeder you, that was there? Peter Call. 
Peter, you know. Peter <laughs> Hall. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's just mind-blowing, you know, those opportunities. You know, these are people that you only read, literally read about in books. And if you make the effort, you know, $500 for a plane ticket and a night in a motel. Yeah. You know, people drop $500 on a snake or a lizard or a tortoise, you know, seemingly without a second thought. On a thermostat. Yeah. But you would be <laughs> much better off dropping that $500 to go to Tinley. Or ICAST. Or car or carpet fest or I can right or any you know any of those you know it's really about the community and it, it's like you were saying it's it's crazy that you some of these guys you hear about you know sometimes via Facebook and other times just in books like real books you know in general and it's getting to talk to these guys firsthand it, it's so crazy because the uh, hearing about Bolins and how they are and hearing about Ari, you know, going to studying them and then getting to just hang out with him at Carpet Fest and talk to him about them and hear some of the stories. Some of the stories that Ari tells is just outrageous and, you know, doesn't really have anything to do with the snakes themselves, just his time out there. And it is it's so interesting and, you know, hearing hearing Bill's stories about, you know, when he was a kid and his brother and his snakes and all that kind of stuff and everybody's got these stories and then it, it's, it's getting to know them intimately and then the knowledge comes and just soaking it all in. And it's just great. And then you learn so much, like you said, just sitting there with these guys. Well, uh, you guys both have, we sent kind of an outline with some questions, uh, that we came up with. Um, so Evan, why don't you, uh, start uh, trying to get some answers out of Jason Stevens. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Jason, I was wanting to know, you know, what were some of your, the resources you use to, uh, you know, study your chondros, learn about the chondros, you know, books, websites, people, anything that helped you get where you're at? Uh, MVF, I would say, is the biggest resource. Um Unlike, can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. Yes. Okay. We just went downstairs to the snake room. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and I'll show you why in just a second. I'm going to try to live stream this on MVF Facebook as well. Um, oh, sweet. So we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm down in my maintenance room, but give me just a second. Um, MVF is a database. I mean, you can go back and search years and years of information. Um, but I came into Green Trees during MVF's heyday. Uh, when I first got on to MVF, Rico was an active member. You would occasionally see Eddie post, but Johnny Blue, John Romano, um, Buddy, you know, all all these guys were there willing and offering up information. But more importantly, um, they were challenging each other's information. So, you know, coming from a science background, you know, you have to defend your claims. 
and that's one of the big things in science is you can make a claim, but you better have the evidence to back it up. Um, and what I see over and over on Facebook is people say, this is what's best for chondros, but it's all anecdotal. Um, and you'll see me make those posts on Facebook. Somebody will say, well, this oh, yeah. is what's best. Like, really? Well, what evidence do you have to support that claim? Is that just in your experience? Is that just in your collection? Or is this something a little more meaningful? And I don't mean that to be a dick, but I mean that that um, you really need to be able to substantiate those kind of claims. And on MVF, it was an open forum, open sharing. And, yeah, there was a lot of, you know, bad feelings as a result of some of those conversations. Um, but MVF was my number one go-to. You know, when I had questions, I had access to the best breeders in the industry. Um, and as far as books go, um, you know, there was a little bit of published research, and you can access that on MDF, and Buddy has a bunch of links for it as well. Um, but really, all captive husbandry of green trees is all anecdotal. You know, it's all based on people that have been doing this for a while. Um, there just isn't that much information unless you get it from the horse's mouth unless you go to Tinley, unless you go to MBF and actually access the breeders. You know, there's a couple of published books out there. You know, there was Maxwell's book. Um, there was Oh, I'm trying. I'm spacing his name. Um, that did pythons of New Guinea. I have the book in the next room. Is it a uh, Mark O'Shea? Yeah, O'Shea. Right, but still, I mean, relative to ball pythons or milk snakes, there's just not that much stuff out there. So, um, you know, at, at MVF, even to this day, all those conversations are still archived. And you can go on there and search. And if you go on Facebook and try to find that information, you don't get, you know, a 10-page discussion on mice versus rats, incubation temperatures, or cycling. That just doesn't exist. Facebook wipes it out after a certain amount of time. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point that the MVF, the search function there is – it's invaluable, and uh, I certainly hope that we can keep that forum, and I say we, uh, I certainly am not doing anything to actively keep it other than getting on and trying to contribute, but, you know, so many of these forums have gone, you know, to the wayside because of social media, um, and you're exactly right. We lose all of those those search functions, conversations that happened over, in the case of the MVF, decades. Yep. And I have I have noticed what I see is a lot of a lot of guys that ask the questions in in the groups and stuff. I see a lot of a lot of you guys come in there and instantly be, they, before they answer their question, the first thing they do is send them a link to MVF, and it's, it's like yeah. automatic. Like, well, check this out. Go here. You know, this will answer your questions for pretty much anything. You know, and I I think that's good at getting new people as long as they actually take the time to go. You know, they they really do need to go. I'm I'm not an active member really. I'm in there, and I love it. Like if I need to, I mean, it, I guess it's I don't use it as much as I should because I feel like if I, some of the questions I have, I can contact some of these people, you know, 
quickly, you know, Bill's a phone call away, and it's just like, hey, Bill, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's, it's nice, but that MVF is, you know, for some of the, the questions you might have, we can't exactly get Rico, you know, to answer them, but he still answers through the stuff he put on there. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's That's a great it's point. Just yep. I know um, when Bill and I were doing the show, we actually were trying to find the individual that made the post to us on Facebook, and and I searched for yeah. a couple hours and just couldn't find this yeah, person. Yeah, couldn't find him. And it was, yeah. We're that, we're you know like we're post, we know we know this post two weeks. yeah yeah hmm. yeah I just some uh, so many people if they just would take the time you know and and I guess I don't know how what I'm trying to say really to, to just go to M, MVF and I I know it, it's kind of if you just say MVF and people go look for it it's kind of hard to find that way and if you if you get a link to it. You know, I highly suggest if anyone sends you a link to MVF, jump. You know, go directly to it, bookmark it, whatever you got to do, and keep it. Join, become a member, all that. And it, it's just so much information in one portal. I mean, it's so to me, it's so much better than any Facebook group. But I think the Facebook groups are easier. But you get you get a lot of uh, you know besides the drama, it's just. I don't know. It just kind of gets lost, like like you guys were saying. There, somebody will say something, and then there's a whole bunch of messages about nothing, and it, it just kind of gets off track and gets lost. And MVF is is pretty good about staying on track. <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah, it's it's police. <laughs> no, <laughs> who's laughing? Sorry, I just got to laugh. <laughs> you need you need to re you need to meet Rob Police Stack. <laughs> uh. Yes, I have yes. met Rob. Yes. Uh, Who's that? There, there was you know some of the best discussions on MVF were so off track. I mean, some of them like ended with threats of violence and litigation. <laughs> oh, classic. Yeah, Rob is still yeah. around. Oh, oh. Yeah, he is. He is. I, I, sh- I feel bad. I should. I should. That's who you should interview on this show. Is you should get Rob on here. <laughs> uh, we, we might lose our rating on Apple if we do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so what do you want to know, Evan? I'm, uh, I'm sitting here in my. Here, hold on a second. Let me see if this works. All right. So I'm in my snake room right now. Oh, it's not going to be live. I see you just, something's up there now. Yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah, let's see it. I see a picture of your laptop. Okay. Well, I guess we're live. Uh, Nice. All right. So you guys get a view that. Most other people don't get. I don't allow many people in my snake room. Um, what do you want to know? Let's talk about experience, because that seems that seems to be uh, what a lot of people aren't really doing anymore. They're not they're not doing research. They're not they're not doing anything. They're just buying the cool tree python and 
you know, they're they're not taking the time to learn. And I'm I'm kind of guilty of jumping on a few folks, you know, in some of the groups. I get I get a little irritated, I guess, with the guys that just zero research, you know, take it home, stick it in a fish tank, and then just ask silly questions about it. And it, it's just so frustrating because you know the snake suffers. And you know, I'd like to hear what you think as far as experience goes for the the new folks that uh, what they need to basically be doing before they get a green tree. Um, you know, you you can't really regulate other people's um, actions, so you can tell them all the stuff that you should be doing. Um, but it just comes down to there's just different types of people. Some people are going to put the work in to doing the research, um, and some people are just going to go off half-cocked and buy a fresh wild-caught import at the next reptile show. Uh, you know, if it was up to me, people would have um, an enclosure already set up and established for three months before they bought an animal, you know? Um, yep. But I just don't think that that's the reality in a lot of reptile keeping. You know, I'm fortunate that I have a large enough collection um, and I have enough equipment that if I see something at a show, yeah, I can buy it, you know, take it home, put it in quarantine and be ready to rock and roll immediately. You know, I've got stacks of cages. I've got stacks of tubs. I've got boxes of thermostats ready to go. Um, but I just think it's a mindset question. You know, there's planners and there's, um, you know, people that are just going to impulse buy. Yeah. What's your, uh, what's your quarantine time? What's that? What, what's your, what time, what's your quarantine time limit? Like, I know some guys do 30 days, some guys do three months. I mean, what do you, what do you normally do for quarantine? Uh, I do about three months. Um, usually three months, but honestly, I haven't brought in anything, uh, from a collection that I don't know for a long time. Uh, I can't remember the last time, the last time I had a conjure shipped to me was probably from Rico. Um, but from an unknown seller, it's been at least eight or 10 years since I've brought anything in. And I haven't brought any chondros into my collection for uh, probably about two years. I got some pure ruse from Bushmaster, um, and I quarantined for those only for about a month or so because they were babies, and I knew they were coming from the farm. Um, so, you know, if if I were to have a need to bring an adult animal or something from another collection, uh three months and off-site. I can keep things in my office at school in a tub, um, and they don't have to even enter my house for a while. But that would be ideal for quarantine. Jason, what are you, uh, what are you quarantining animals for specifically? What, what is your greatest fear um, about bringing a new Conroe into your into an established collection? Uh, viral, 
my number one would viral. be viral. It, it seems like even with all the issues of respiratory infections and everything else, um, you know, bacterial infections, we have a fair number of antibiotics that are seem to be working pretty well, um, but really viral. And, you know, even those can lay dormant for a lot longer. Um, but that'd be my number one concern because, you know, viruses are hard to kill and they spread quickly. They can be aerosolized. Um, but even then, any time you bring a new animal in, there's really no effective quarantine period. You know, you can right. have the animal that's harboring um, a virus that's in um, that's in stasis, that's basically just hanging out. And as long as that animal is healthy, you know, they're not going to display any symptoms. But all it would take is you moving them from quarantine into your collection, and that's enough stress to activate that virus. And it might have been fine for a year in quarantine, and all it takes is that movement you know, and yeah. now it goes into the lytic stage of a virus, and now everything's exposed. You know, so that, that's pretty much why I've kept my collection closed for several years now. Interesting. It's a good reason, and and I guess you know, along with the quarantine, knowing your source, knowing the history of who has that animal and where that animal's been, uh, yeah. is important. <clears throat> Especially if they come from a show. Oh my God! And, and I, yeah. I mean, I and, and not not necessarily even if, like, let's say if I was to buy a green tree from Bill at the show, I would definitely quarantine just because not because of Bill, you know, just because of <laughs> where it was. It was around everything, else, you know. <laughs> but you know, if I if I go to Bill's house and pick something up and come and bring it home, chances are it, it's not. I probably wouldn't quarantine it to be honest, you know. Yeah. I don't. I don't think Bill would set me up with something crazy. So, if he did, I know. I know where he lives. I mean, he is a pretty good <laughs> marksman, is my understanding. But <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you, man. No, I, I think but, you're uh, right. You, you, there, there needs to be a little bit of common sense in the quarantine, and uh, you know, knowing the collection, and like Jason said, how much stress is the animal going to undergo? You know, you take it like he was talking about. You take it from my house to your house. A 30 minute car ride is a lot different than putting in a box you know, and shipping it across the country and from somebody you don't know and the animals had three different owners, you know, other than yep. buying a hatchling from me and driving it 30 minutes to your house, uh, yeah. you know, I wouldn't quarantine that animal either. And I know we, like, I think me and Bill, I was just over there. When was that? When was that? Last week? And we yep. were talking about quarantine. And, you know, if you if you're quarantining, you know, let's say you've had an animal in quarantine for, close to the 90 days and then you pick up something new and now that comes into the quarantine room then what do you do because you know do you just keep the snake that was almost out of quarantine now does it need to stay in quarantine because now it's yeah. exposed to a new animal and so it's you know you definitely don't want to just take that and take that chance you know some some of you guys have stellar you know collections and i i just i don't know kind of scary it, it, it's terrifying. <laughs> is, that, is that live? Oh. Is the live feed? Don't bleed now. live. Oh. There you go. Did you see that? 
I can't yeah, get you. I'm I can't gonna click the play show. button. I I can. It's uh, telling me that the content's not available right now. Are you able to see it? Are you able to see the uh, Jason live, Evan? No. Where Where's he at? He's on posting live on Facebook, man. Oh, okay. No, I just I just had the phone on. Actually, I was in there just looking at mine a second ago. <laughs> it's funny when it right through. You say, "Oh, almost got bit." I made the video the other day just talking about you know the the containers I use. And I don't know if you see the video when I'm sitting there and I open it and the little biak jumps out and almost bit me. I almost dropped my phone. <laughs> There's something else, man. I love Jason. Jeff. Are Better you okay? Me. I'm okay. <laughs> it's, it's just a little yearling. I don't know yeah. if you guys can see this on Facebook, but uh, I'm tr- I got click it and it won't it won't reload for me. Uh, yeah, me neither. Try reloading. Let me the try page. reload. Okay. All right. Yeah. Try now, now I'm getting it. Yeah. Now I'm getting it. Uh, right now I'm seeing that melanistic animal that you have. Oh yeah. 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 yeah so okay, this is cool. actually off. This is offspring from Little Bird, who is one of Eddie Asty's more famous females, and here she is, looking for another meal. Um, she's actually retired. So that was her last clutch. Um, but talk about old names in Chondro world. You know, there's a there's an old data card for you there. There's an O one female. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, there's the snake room. Oh, all I see is little bird on my screen. Um, what else do you want to know, Evan? Yeah. Well, since you're since you're in your snake room, uh, what's some of the equipment, the best equipment to get started in Condros? All right. So there's a lot of tricks that you pick up. Um, so let's start with favorite things in my snake room. Um, this. I see there's a little delay on the Facebook. Um, this is a, like a plastic grocery bag dispenser. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I, oh yeah, you see that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Target target bags work awesome, but smaller trash bags are the best because, um, if they're smaller, you can only put like a day's worth of stuff in them before you got to take them out. Um, gotcha. So there's there's no old poop, there's no leftover feeders, there's no paper towels left in here for more than like a day. Um, so the snake room doesn't smell. Um, you should have an apron in your snake room. Trick nice. of the trade that, yeah, I didn't have an apron in here until just a couple of years ago. And when you've got a sex, you know, 20 animals in a day just because your buddy happened to stop by, um, mm. you need an apron because you're going to get pissed on all over the place. Uh, Did you uh, kill a zebra to make that? What's that? <laughs> I said, Did you kill a zebra to make that apron? 
<laughs> no, my father-in-law bought that for me um, from the prison gift shop so the inmates make all that stuff. <laughs> um, nice. So I have sanitizer all over the place in the snake room. So I have, um, I use two different types. Um, so I've got the blue stuff. I've got um, FC, F10, um, and I just buy the, the concentrate by the gallon, the chlorhexidine. Um, but I just have different spray bottles of FC, F10, and chlorhexidine. Um, I try to mix up my cleaners. But I've got three or four bottles, and they're always within reach. And the other thing that's in reach is these um, wall-mounted paper towel dispensers. Um, so if I'm, you know, I'm cleaning this cage right here and this animal that's in shed, you can get a focus. Good-looking critter right there. That's um, Manson by Thea offspring, so that's a second-generation RFAC outcrop. Um, but there's paper towels right here. Um, and it's all just about quick convenience. You know, I've got a... Uh, one of these big dispensers of corrugated paper so I can just rip off um, substrate. You know, they. I look in one of the cages, there's a fresh poop. I just rip off a sheet and I can replace it instantly. So that's your substrate of choice, the corrugated, the corrugated paper, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it really resists mold. Um, you know, I've had some stuff in here for two or three weeks, and it still hasn't molded. Um, it holds humidity well for a couple of days. Um, yeah, and just the fact that I can put it on those rolls and cut it to length, so I can use right. the same rule for these big cages um, for these juveniles. Right, so... Mm -hmm. It's just a regular, um, this is a two-year-old Arubiac, but this is in a, a nine-inch, what is this, a five-gallon tub in a habitat rack. But I use the same paper. I can just cut it to size immediately. Um, I know mm -hmm. some guys that pre-cut all their stuff, but I just cut mine immediately to order. Um, mm -hmm. This stuff is awesome. And it's like... $26 for 100 feet from Amazon delivered to your door. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. And I still use newspaper for some things. Um, I use newspaper for the big cages. Um, so there's a blackhead that's on paper. Um, there's an indigo in here that, ow, that just bit me. <laughs> there she is. She's hungry. She another show. One another show first. Somebody getting bit while they're doing the show. Yeah. <laughs> There's the indigo. She doesn't want to play, except for with my finger. There you go. Live on GTP Keeper Radio. Cool. Gonna focus. There you go. 
Um, Indigo, that's that's a bucket list name right there. Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so what else? <laughs> uh, other, you know, I still, you know, paper towel rolls. <laughs> I've got a rack on the wall with all my instruments just ready to go. Um, and then I usually have a tub on feeding day. I'll just have a little, um, like sterilizing bath. So as I'm going through, I can dip the instruments. But otherwise, I just have a nice assortment um, forceps for feeding smaller animals. Um, I really like non-locking tools. Um, so here's a set of big tongues I use for the big girls, um, the blackhead, the indigo, and the adult females. That can really reach, but notice they're non-locking because um, you really need to be able to get rid of that feeder, you know, if something goes wrong. Um, toolbox. So let's see what's in the toolbox. Preventamite. Um, haven't really needed this can is probably like six years old. Um, <laughs> That's good. Since I've, yeah, since mm. I've closed the collection, I really haven't had need for it. Um, it's a great product. Yeah, it's a great product. You know, I brought some new colubrids in a little while ago um, from an unknown source. I didn't bring them in here to my maintenance room. Um, but I still, in the other room, preventamited just because when you have 100 animals, um, you're better off spending five minutes preventamiting a cage or a tub than you are spending weeks cleaning every freaking thing in your room. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on the uh, those pet strips? Have you ever used those? Um, no, I've never used them because I've read some of the published research on the neurological impacts of them. Um, and that's just not something I'm willing to risk. Okay. Um, I, th I think preventamite has proved itself safe. Um, but I've seen some pretty scary stuff from pest strips. I think if, if you use them responsibly according to directions in the right ways, you're probably safe. Um, but it's just not something I'm willing to risk. You know, why, why risk a $1,000 chondro on a dollar pest strip sense to me. Right. Yeah. There, what, are, you know, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the things you've heard just if there's some people out there that kind of curious as to what you've heard about it? Um, no, there's some published research on the active ingredients in preventamite or not preventamite, um, pest strips. Pest strips. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, you can, Let's see if we can do it right here. Um, we go to Google Scholar and look up pest strips, home pesticide use in childhood cancer is the first hit. Um, household pesticides and pediatric brain tumors. Uh, family pesticide use and childhood cancer, uh, encephalitis, 
et cetera, et cetera. Um, even out, you know, these are all human health concerns. Um, yeah, that's just not something I'm willing to bring into my house. Wow, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jason, we, we have a lot of, um, I, I guess not debate, but, you know, as far as keeping, you know, let's say you get your first, you get your first green tree. You've done, you've done your research, you've done your due diligence, you've done your homework, you get the right animal. What is your go-to, let's say it's your first one, you only have one, um, what is your, what would be your go-to setup for either a hatchling or let's say a juvenile chondro? I mean, everything from heat to container perches, you know, how would you set it up? Tub rack off the bat. Even if you only have one animal, um, so a tub rack like this one, um, you're going to get more animals, whether you breed, whether you get more children, whether your condom dies and you go back to quarantine. It's true, you know, and nothing maintains temperature, humidity, and consistency like a tub rack. It's simple physics. You know, it's larger. If you're trying to heat... You know, like a little six quart tub, because really, if you if you have a hatchling, you shouldn't have it in anything bigger than a six quart tub. That's just a fact. Okay. Um, and the best way to heat and maintain a six quart tub is in a rack. So you know, go on AP Plastics, go on I don't know, I guess uh, Herptastic. And just buy a tub rack, even if it's for one animal. If you're trying to skimp and save money, um, don't, don't get a buy a five hundred dollar condo. You know. Yeah. You know, so I. Uh, Jason, even do you for, think does even it, for, I was going to say, does it matter if if you get that rack if it's got back heat or belly heat or is there something that you prefer one way or the other? Uh, I really like back heat. Or a snake room. Um, if you know, I've got another room where I've got colubrids and some adults that gets colder that I use for cycling. Um, okay. In the case where I don't have as much warm ambient temperatures, I really like to use belly heat. Um, but if I can maintain room temperatures. In the mid seventies, I like back heat because it doesn't dry out as much. Okay, great. How's that? How's that snake look? Wow, the head looks awesome. Nice. That's a that's a Rico animal. Beautiful. That's a that's a Mokin scarab animal right there. That one's going to bite me, too. Very cool. Incredible. Hey, guys. While uh, Jason's poking the snake here, we've got a caller, and it could be a question (laughs) for Jason. So let's bring them on and see uh, if they have a question. 
Caller with the 951 area code, you are live on GTP Keeper Radio. Do you have a question for Jason? I absolutely have a question. Hello. Uh, Hi, how are you? Who is this? Hi. Uh, well, Bill knows me better than you do, unfortunately, but uh, my name is Brandon. Uh, I also live in uh, South Texas. What's up, Brandon? To, uh, Welcome, Brandon. What's going on, buddy? Thank you. Hey, what's going on, Bill? How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Thanks for calling in. Excellent. Hey, what's going on? How are you doing, Evan? I'm good, man. How you doing? Doing pretty good, man. Uh, I just had a couple hey, questions. Uh, I'm definitely... Uh, I would definitely consider myself a, still a novice keeper, um, even though I've actually been working with Green Trees uh, for almost 10 years now. Um, but, you know, I started my collection real small. I had one for, you know, a good four or five years before I even got my second. Um, so a couple of my questions were, and you actually uh, just experienced my first lock this year uh, with, a, with a couple. Granted, I'm not 100% sure if that's going to produce anything or not, but I'm Still keeping my fingers crossed at this point. Uh, you know, Bill, you know, Evan, you guys both saw my post on this the other day. Um, what what do you do when you are prepping or maybe getting ready for attempting to breed? What is your method and what is your style of keeping um, as far as how you do it? I follow a pretty classic recipe of um, I, I cycle my temperatures lower, uh, which in my case is mostly taking away night heat. Um, I increase, try to increase humidity as best I can. One of the ways I do that, well, year-round I have a, a water bath underneath my fan that increases humidity. Uh, I might mist a little bit more. Um, and then my females, I increase the feeding as well. Um, is that prior that to reproductions, Jason? What's that? Is that prior prior to your breeding, you'll increase the uh, female feeding? Yeah. Right. So I'll start increasing feeding um Probably about two months beforehand. So I do most of my pairings uh, mid-fall. So right about now is when I'll start yeah. introductions. But that's mostly based on animal behavior. Um, if I see males cruising more, um, females, I'll tend to see an increase in appetite. So they're um, looking for food. Um, so I'll start... You know, I, I might give the female two mice instead of one. Um, I'll start feeding the females every week instead of three times a month. Um, and then really it's just kind of feeling out the animals. So I'll introduce a male in the afternoon uh, and then watch and see what happens as the lights go out. If the female runs or grounds, uh, I'll remove the male. Um, if the male fails to court, I'll typically remove him and then try him in a couple of weeks again. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Um, now I've got a, I've really... got a pretty specific question um, okay. in regards to what I noticed 
from a male of mine, um, the one that actually I, I caught in courtship with uh, the female. Uh, the male is a very nice uh, import uh, sarong locality type. Uh, you know, obviously, again, like I said, Bill, uh, Evan, you probably know this. Um, granted, I wouldn't be surprised, Gary, if you have seen a post on this. I think I posted up on uh, really Pick of the Week. Because um, everybody was posting up pictures of their locked up chondros, because apparently this was the week of, or that was the week of love in the air. Um, <laughs> now I had a male that that my male sarong is notoriously fairly active uh, as far as cruising the cage, especially at night. Um, and I noticed that he began to ground himself uh, somewhat frequently, and uh, even if I, you know, I put him up back on his perch. He'd go back on his perch and he'd hang out there for a while, but sure enough, you know, come nightfall and you know, first thing in the morning when I go to you know leave for work and check up on all all the animals like I always do, uh, it gets kind of my routine, you know, check up on them, you know, especially on my days of work when I first leave, just before I leave for work, and then again, uh, um, as soon as I get home. But uh, again, I would notice he would be grounded quite frequently, and I was a little bit concerned, but. I didn't notice any respiratory issues. I didn't notice any other illnesses or any other signs of illnesses. And I was a little bit concerned, but I said, you know, oh, what the heck, you know, I'm going to throw them in with the, in the same cage as the female. The the same cage that I have the, my female in is a little bit of a – it's a bigger cage. It's a little bit nicer. It's got the radiant heat panel, um, although I do have a separate reptile room, and I do ambient uh, ambient temps in that room as well as, you know, giving them the option of having the hot spot as versus, you know, a hot, just a hot and cold spot. You know, it's got the ambient room temperature. Plus it has the option to get closer to the heat if it wants to. Um, but anyways, like I said, I threw him in there, uh, threw him in there. I watched him for a while. Uh, you know, he just kind of cruised the cage and checked it out for a little bit. And, uh, went out with my better half that that evening and came back home that night and they were kind of coiled up together and the tails were intertwined, but there was uh it, it's obviously a first time breeder cause you know, these are the first time breeders to miss the hole the first time. And, uh, but sure enough, you know, left it, left it alone said, okay, well, you know, he's not doing any damage. He's clearly can't find the hole. So, you know, we'll be fine. And sure enough, the next night I, uh, I found them all, you know, interlocked. Um, have you ever, so my question is, is have you ever known or seen a male that has grounded himself because he's looking for a mate and simply can't find one? I haven't, honestly. Most of the time um, when I've seen males enter, enter reproductive cycle, uh, they're cruising and being super active um, and running around the cages. Um, grounding for me is usually something that I worry about. Um, if it only lasts for a day or two, then I'm not too concerned. Um, but sustained grounding is something that would cause me to start worrying about the animals. So, so no, I haven't seen that. But you know, every observation with these animals is new. They don't do what we expect them to do anytime. So, um, it's not something I've seen, but it's also not something I'm surprised by because you know, they always do stuff that's different. Um, they might have just been... I haven't. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I, I agree. You know, it was only a couple of days, but again, it was enough to give me, you know, enough cause to give me concern to say, Hey, you know, let me throw them into the, the, the nicer setup as far as, you know, having the radiant heat panels as opposed to the back heat on, you know, the, I have them in a tub, uh, but it's one of those, um, uh, the all access tubs with the little front doors, but it's the bigger right. like uh, Evan. It's like yours. You know how you have that small version for your yeah. Your it's hatchlings? like the bigger one. You know what you're talking yeah, about, I right, the, Bill? The, the first ones we built. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have one of the bigger versions of those uh, that he's been in, and you know he's been doing fine. He's been in there for you know over six months and haven't had any issues. And then sure enough, you know I've thrown him in there and. He seems to be doing fine now, and you know, even after taking him out, and you know, for a couple, for two weeks, and then I've reintroduced him to the female. And although I'm not getting any second locks, you know, there he's has yet to try and ground himself again. Hey, Jason, I was going to ask, did you see that video that uh, I think it's D, DM Exotics, and it was on YouTube, and he had uh, found some, uh, I think it's Waigo locale, and Kofiel. And he found, I think it was the Kofi Owl, was actually on the ground on a rock, like just sitting on the rock. Of course, it was at nighttime. You know, that might be a big difference. But it was just funny that it was on the ground on a rock, just sitting there. Did you happen yep. to see that? I did see that. And it's funny that, you know, our boreals are. Ow! On the <laughs> Again? Yeah, same, different one. <laughs> Um, sounds like Jason's the uh, the novice keeper tonight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're not supposed just... to handle. <laughs> you're not supposed to handle them at night, Jason. Yeah, especially after everybody else got fed today, except for these three. <laughs> <laughs> do what I say, not what I do. Exactly. <clears throat> well, guys, let's so, uh, yeah. let's move along the show a little bit because we are. We're we're not short on time, but we're going through the clock pretty quick. So, um, Brandon, thanks for calling in, buddy. We're going to move down our outline. Absolutely. Go ahead. Thank you guys for letting me call in. All right, buddy. Have yeah, good night. Thank you. All right, Ev- Evan, what else you got, man? Uh, I was going to ask Jason what his thoughts are on uh, what chondros are right for people. Ver- uh, pretty much, you know, import versus captive bred. You know, I know I know most people automatically go to captive bred, and that's the way to go. But, you know, all the animals, I have eight animals, and all of my animals are imports. And I just feel like as long as you're doing the, the, the knowledge, and learning about, the, you know, your research and doing what you're supposed to, and you get them into a vet, I think imports are great animals. You know, I, I understand a lot of people want the cheaper animal. I, I see that a lot. You know, oh, it's my first one. I'm not going to fork out $1,000 for a snake. I want to I get the 250 $250 snake from a show, but then they don't take it to a vet, you know, and to me it's just you, you got to get them into a vet. And what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, th- I think it's kind of plus and minus. I always start with suggesting um, a U.S. captive bred animal and specifically one um, from a local breeder if you have access to them um, because that local breeder can provide mentorship. And I think that goes a long way. 
So even if you're getting mentorship from someone selling you an import, um, you know, they're still you're way better off if you can talk to somebody that has experience with them. Um, because there's a lot to be said for experience with green tree pythons, just being able to see um, how they react, how they sit. Um, I would never advise somebody to get a wild-caught import, and there's a big difference between a wild-caught import and a farm-raised or a farm-hatched import. You know, if you have access to a quality Bushmaster animal, uh, as long as you can get a fecal run um, to make sure they're clean, um, I don't see any harm in that. But my number one recommendation is always going to be for a U.S. captive bred animal. You just have a direct line to the person that produced it, and they have a vested interest in that animal. You know, they've spent the time raising the adults to breed them. They've spent the time establishing the animal. Um, so they, they, most of the time, not all the time, uh, most of the time they're just going to have more genuine concern for the well-being of that animal. Um, that being said, um, man, I have learned a lot from killing chondros, I got to say. <laughs> um, and I, I can, um, you know, I can say that I've probably killed more chondros than most people were ever keep in their lives, um, from babies to adults. You know, stupid mistakes or misidentifying symptoms, um, trying to self-treat things when I should have taken them to a vet. Um, you learn a lot from your mistakes. Um, and, you know, sometimes buying a wild-caught import, you know, you're going to learn from that, for better or for worse. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's there's plus sides to everything. Um, but if you want to keep your snake alive, the best thing I can suggest is buy it from someone you know, um, and don't ever breed it. The best way to kill a chondro is reproduction, without question. And I, I agree with you because I was talking to Buddy when, when I first came on that my first, the first time I ever purchased green trees, you know, I, I made some. I, there was no research. I, I was, I wanted that cool tree python that I kind of get on to people about now. And at the time, you know, Facebook was out there, but it wasn't like it was now. And, you know, I, I had worked at a pet store, and I picked up, I'm pretty sure they were probably wild-caught beyond, uh, they, were, they were babies. But I had all three of them in this big setup that I had, and I had turtles in the bottom of the tank. Bill, I think I've told you this. Where I had the turtles <laughs> you told me the the down in the bottom of the tank. And had like grapevine coming out, so they were all in there, all together, like the turtles, the the snakes, everything was together, and they were fine. <laughs> and I I got tired of the turtles; they were messy, they were nasty, so I took them out. And then I just put some uh, like I don't know what it was; it was like Repti Bark or something like that 
in the bottom of the the cage, and I didn't know anything about humidity, nothing. And like you said, I, I killed them. I killed all three of them. And within six months, I I killed my condors, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like what did I do? And you know, I didn't have anybody that I could reach out to and talk to the way people are able to do that now. And I was just, you know, <laughs> I just killed them, you know, and it was a great learning experience and it, it kind of spooked me and I didn't get any other chondros until I got an Aru from a uh, Waffa, Brad Waffa. And then I got, I got one, my second one came from Bill. And I mean, they, I, then I was already asking questions and stuff before I even got them. And so I felt comfortable enough to take that chance. And I've I've never looked back since. I love them. Well, you've changed a way. You changed a lot a way that you keep them now, though. You don't keep them in those elaborate, realistic live plant exactly. setups anymore. Well, yeah. I have I have a I have a Bioc Negan, the one that was in the the con in the NPR calendar. He is actually in a bio setup. Uh, I had him set up the way I keep all my other ones: same temp, same everything. And I had him on newspaper or a puppy pad with the, the water bowl in there, all that. And he was having bad shed after bad shed after bad shed. And somebody recommended just try a bio setup and see what happens. So, you know, I set up a little bio setup. I have a modified exo, put some live plants in there, some pothos and stuff, and planted them all and did all that and put a big, large water bowl in there. And ever since I did that, he's been having full shed. And he's had, I think he's shed in there now. I want to say three times, and each one's been a full set. And so he's the only one that's set up like that. And the rest of them are, you know, puppy pads and water bowls and simplicity. But uh, he's the only one set up like that and having no issues. Yeah, I, those puppy pads are awesome. And, you know, some of them fit perfectly in the bottom of vision cages. Yeah, two-by-twos. The two-by-two yep. uh, cubes are perfect. Yeah, they work great. As long, and I, I tell people, make sure you get the uh, the unscented ones. Yeah, I was talking to um, a reptile vet about puppy pads, and um, you know, before I started using them, and his opinion was that they were okay to use. Even the unscented ones have a chemical in them that I guess attracts the puppy to actually want to to pee on that pad, but um, huh. just. Uh, but he he didn't think that there would be any harm in using them in uh, particularly green trees because they're up off of that substrate, you know, the vast majority of the time. And and I certainly haven't had any problems uh, using them as substrate. Have you used them much, Jason? I I have not. Um, Ryan uses them for his collection, and Steve Volk uses them. They're both local. Uh, and they no. they like them quite a bit. And for me, it's just a matter of expense. I love this corrugated paper, um, mm. mostly because of so many different size cages, and I can just cut it to fit on cut demand. It, yeah. um, but here's a, here's something for you if you're watching on Facebook. Um, even after ten years, um, I still get dry sheds. So. Here's an animal that's actually soaking right now because um, he had a dry shed because it's winter in Colorado. Um, our humidity has just started dropping drastically. Um, so, yeah, I'm still... See, yeah. the, even the masters uh, get animals with, with bad sheds. 
Yeah, and we still have problems. You know, and at the same time, I had, you know, there's a female in one of the big cages on the other side of the room um, that had a perfect shed the exact same day. So Mm. no two chondros are the same and no two enclosures are the same. And this, by the way, is also, for those of you that like to keep track of chondro history, um, this is a direct offspring from Old Yeller. So this is Old Yeller's son. Oh, cool. Very cool. Very cool. Good-looking snake. Yeah, he's a good guy. Too bad he never did. All right. (laughs) <laughs> I was gonna hey, say, I uh, said, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, since we were talking about, um, you know, you touched on the humidity, bad sheds, you know, that's a, a topic that we talk about, hit on all the time, husbandry. And I think, you know, Jason can elaborate, but, you know, knowing your, your conditions, whether, you know, you live in Colorado or Texas or the East coast or Alaska, you know, what, what Jason says works best for his animals aren't necessarily going to work best for yours. And we always have that, um, you know, discussion, misting versus not misting, mist every day, twice a day, never once a week. Um, so maybe it'd be cool if Jason could kind of share some of his thoughts about humidity versus hydration, misting versus not misting, wetting substrate, changing water, all that kind of stuff. Uh so I rarely mist anymore. Um, in fact, the mister that's in my snake room, um, I can't remember the last time I used it, probably with hatchlings. So with new hatchlings, I tend to keep the humidity up to 100% if I can um, because those little tiny babies just dry out super fast. Um, other than that, I mostly just wet the substrate. Uh, okay. So I'll go through, you know, when I'm doing my daily checks, and I just, um, you know, every other day I just walk around with a bottle of water and uh, just kind of dump, you know, half a cup mm-hmm. on the substrate every few days to keep the relative humidity up. Um, and then I keep a... You saw that big water dish directly under my room fan, and I have to fill that up uh, about twice a week. Um, Okay. And then just knowing my individual animals, I know that there's certain animals I have to soak um, occasionally, maybe once a month or so, um, just to keep them hydrated. And then there's other animals that... I don't have to mess with it all, and they drink from their water bowls regularly. They have perfect sheds. They defecate regularly. Um, mm-hmm. But probably the biggest thing I watch for hydration is frequency of de- uh, defecations. Um, so if hmm. I, you know, I keep records, and if their adults aren't defecating, um, let's say like once a month. Um, then I'll give them a good soak. But really, it's it's just kind of like knowing those individual animals. Right. Yeah, no big deal. What was your question, Evan? Uh, I said, how often do you change your water? Uh, 
let's see. I well, I clean the water bowls. Uh, it's about every ten days so the water bowls get completely switched out. Uh, so they get new water, and then about five days later, I dump that and refill it with fresh. And then the second time, they get cleaned. So every ten days, it gets completely swapped out, and then they get fresh water every five days. Yeah, because nice. that's how that's how I pretty much with mine. I don't. I hardly miss. If I see them going into a shed cycle, I'll, I might miss then. But generally, I change my water probably every, I think three to four days, in between three and five. And I just once I clean everything, I just kind of dump some water in there, and that's it. You know, and I yeah. I get full sheds and no problems. And like, like you guys say, you know, what works for me may not work for you, but I see a lot of people that just miss. Like, like it's. I, I also keep dart frogs, and I swear some of these guys they miss their chondros like like my dart frogs. It's like that's a lot of water. <laughs> like I don't think they need that much water, you know. But I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know what's funny is I don't know if you saw my frog tank in there, um, but I've got three terribilis in there, and they're only in there because we just redid. Um, the carpet in the room next door where they usually sit. Um, but I haven't misted those dart frogs in, I don't know, three, four months. They're in a closed tank. Um, and it, it's sealed with glass over the whole thing. And I, I don't miss them either. And they do great. Mm. That's, that's it. What kind do you have, the mints or the goldens? Uh, golden, blackfoot golds. Frog talk. That's awesome. <laughs> Frog talk radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. All right. You know, it's just like you know, Buddy has been saying. It's it's really just getting to know your animals and your local situation. Um, and unfortunately, with green trees, there's a steep learning curve to identify those those factors. I was going to ask yeah, you, I, I know you go, said, uh, go ahead, Bill. I was just going to say, you know, I, I think that's exactly right. When you're getting in, you know, getting into chondros, it's easy to get chondro fever and just, you know, once you have one, you just want to get yep. a bunch. But I think go slow, you know, is, is some, uh, is some good advice, you know, just go slow and, and learn to read your animals because they are all different. I was going to ask you, I know you said uh, you hadn't really brought anything in, I think you said in a couple of years, but uh, I want to know what you, what, how do you prepare for your arrival of your animals, and what do you look for when you, when you check them out, when they come in, and the, the unboxing of the animal? Um, just general activity of the animal. Um, are they lethargic? Are they moving around? You know, a healthy snake, when it comes out of a, a shipping box, um, is usually in a hurry to get out of that box. Um, so if they just kind of lay there and they're lethargic, um, that's not good. Um, but other than that, you know, checking out the hydration, making sure they're well hydrated so when they come in, um, I almost always, um, either soak them or give them a good misting in a humid box 
Um, I always have a quarantine set up well in advance um, with the temperatures established. Um, but I just have a couple of tubs with ceramic heat lamps that I can just plug into a thermostat, you know, a day ahead of time, and they're ready to go. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> and anybody that buys a snake before they buy the cage um, is screwed. <laughs> Um, it's a red flag. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll say that over and over again. If, if you're buying an animal and you don't have a cage at the right temps already set up, you're doing it backwards. Um, and that goes, you know, that goes for buying a baby and not having adult housing. You know, if you just bought a dozen baby chondros because, you know, you you got them from Bushmaster, you got them from DM or underground, whoever that you you were able to buy a dozen babies from and you don't have a dozen adult enclosures, um, you're in trouble because you might have saved, you know, a couple hundred dollars on those babies, but you've got a $5,000 bill in your future that you need to plan for. Um, sorry, that doesn't answer your question. Um, <laughs> so new arrivals, um, so make sure they're well hydrated. Um, but really, until they defecate, um, that's that's the first time you can really do any kind of assessment of the animal's health. You know, is the poop solid? Is it liquid? Um, you should immediately do a fecal. If you know, if you're buying a baby from Bill or Buddy, um, you can probably skip the fecal. Um, <laughs> if you know Bill and Buddy. Um, but really, you know, it's that whole saving money thing. You should, you should run a fecal on, um, the first fecal you get from any animal you bring into your collection. Um, if it's your only animal, then, um, maybe it's not a priority, but if you've got a couple dozen animals at home, whenever you bring a new animal in, if you get a fresh poop, you should run a fecal, um, and even better, you should learn how to run your own fecal. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the most important thing for new arrivals. And how long how long after you get something in do you think it's safe to to feed them, handle them, and take pictures of them? I feed the first day, um, but I don't handle ever. Um, you know, I. I'll occasionally handle my adults, especially if I think they need more exercise to help them defecate. But I rarely handle my green trees. Um, I handle them for physical assessment, um, especially if they're imports or if they're coming from an unknown source. I'll handle them a little more regularly because I'm looking for parasite bumps. Um, I'm looking for any kind of spinal deformities. I'm looking for any kind of masses. So I'll do regular palpations. Um, but I don't handle them unless it's medically necessary. But I'll feed them the first day, especially green trees. I mean, like, I pick them up from FedEx at 10.30. I get them home in the tub, and before lights out, I'm offering them a meal because I think that, in my experience, and this is anecdotal, um, but in my experience, the best way to establish a new arrival, green tree specifically, is feed them that, that same day. You know, it's just like all those guys that would catch gray bands down in Texas. Um, 
I've got some friends that would collect these gray bands back in the days, and they would put a pinky in the tub, like little deli cups as they're driving home. Um, and the only ones they kept were the ones that ate before they left Texas, pretty much. And the rest hmm, of them got interesting. You know, yeah. Yeah, there are, there are another species that's kind of uh, difficult to establish is the neos. Well, that's, that's interesting. Here. Yeah, that's interesting, Jason. Uh, offering food like that right away, we haven't heard that from other uh, other keepers. That's a great that's a great pearl. Yeah. Well, it's just you know everybody's got their own thing. That's just what's worked for me. Um, right. And I've also recommended that for people that have bought animals from me. You know, when it when it's out of the box, just get it eating. You know, don't don't you're not doing a feeding trial. You know, you're not going to yeah. sit there and shoot it out, um, but offer it a meal. And if it takes it, sweet. You know, that animal's established. Um, Great. But if it tucks its head or runs, you know, leave it alone. Hmm. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, because I don't, I don't really handle mine either. I don't, I don't like to put hands on. It's not. I've got a few that are. I'm not worried about being bit. I just. I don't know. I just feel like if I wanted something to handle, I've got a corn snake, I've got rutics, I've got a ball python. You know, I got something I can handle. You know, I just to me they're more display and take care of them. I just I don't see, you know, really any necessary unless I feel like something's wrong, like you said, to check them out, or you know, if I need one sex, something like that. Other than that, I'm pretty hands off. I, I and overall, I just feel like overall that's better for the animal. Yeah, I I agree. Um, you know, it's better for the animal if you're doing a medical assessment. Um, but, I mean, they're reptiles. They've spent millions of years evolving in a rainforest without human contact. This whole anthropocentric argument that they enjoy being handling, um, I, I just find to be ignorant. They might enjoy your warmth for a minute, Um but if that's the case, you need to fix your husband. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. It does. And you're uh, like when you what do you do as far as troubleshooting? Like if you have one that's not feeding, bad sheds, you know, doesn't want to perch. And what do you? When's the last time you had something get out on you? Like escape its <laughs> cage. <laughs> um. So when. Um, when something's grounded and showing some kind of symptoms, um, for chondros, uh, I wish I knew the cause. I would say 50% of the time it has to do with respiratory. Um, but I've had animals with perforated intestines. I had a, an amazing female die a couple years ago because she poked a hole in her intestines with one of her own shed teeth. Um, and she wow. died from sepsis within 24 hours. Um, welcome to I green had... trees. What's that? I said, welcome to green trees. Yeah, they <laughs> stuck. It was funny because um, that was right before, it was like a year before Rico died, and I called him, and I said, hey, I've got this female. She's tail hanging, um, but it's, you know, it's, just massively swollen. She wasn't swollen this morning. It's purple and discolored. Um, and his response was, she'll be dead by morning. 
Um, and he was right. And when I necropsied her, it was because she, you know, there was a little tooth sticking out of her intestine and there was fecal matter inside her uh, body oh. cavity. Um, Man. But, but it, it's a little bit of everything. You know, I've had, you know, female or any chondros die because they had um, cancer. I had one with pancreatitis. But I would say most of the time, um, you know, other than chondros being chondros and grounding for a day or two, um, any prolonged symptoms more than half the time it has to do with respiratory infection. Um, and whether that um, primary cause is viral or bacterial, um, you know, I can't even speculate on that. There's just not enough information. Um, but I just kind of monitor the symptoms. I make sure they're well hydrated. I you know, the first thing I do when I see an animal that's acting weird is I break out my temp gun. Um, and I start, mm, yeah, start yep. shooting temperatures over the cage and make sure nothing's too hot, nothing's too cold. Um, usually I'll frequently give them a soak to make sure that they're well hydrated. And when I put them into soak, you know, if I see them drinking, I'm like, well, maybe they're just dehydrated. Um, hydration is number one. Um and in terms of an animal getting out, uh, I lost one. It wasn't a green tree, though. What did I just lose? Uh, it was a colubrid of some type. Um, but like a year, not a tiny colubrid. Um, left the cage open. Last time I <laughs> lost a green tree was big adult female um, and she I mean big like you know one and a half kilos I mean she was one of the biggest animals I had um, and it was just one of those it was, it was beer beer was to blame um, <laughs> I think don't I think feed I was those condros beer don't give those condros beer Jason <laughs> I think somebody was over for dinner and we were drinking beers and I showed him a snake, left the cage open, went down the next morning, cage was open. Um, and that six foot long, you know, three pound snake disappeared for uh, almost two months. Oh, and then God. I found her. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was waiting for the smell at that point. Um, but you know, it's funny. I just had a conversation about perch size the other day, and she was perched on a piece of uh, 14-gauge Romex. You know, there's, there's, there's like pipes and, I mean, there's all kinds of big stuff that she could have perched on in my basement, and she was perched on something that was a quarter-inch thick, and that was a three-pound green tree python. <laughs> Crazy. They are funny. Yeah. Have you ever dealt with? Uh, I was going to ask you if you've ever dealt with uh, egg binding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, in several different <laughs> cases. So I was going to show you in my um, in my toolbox. There's actually uh, some fifty. 50 cc syringes and some 
one inch 14 gauge needles. Um, and I would suggest um, anybody that's serious about breeding should be become familiar with the use of or the application of aspirating eggs uh, because it's something that you're going to have to get used to. Um, if you're going to have, you know, a large collection and breed a lot of snakes, eventually you're going to have an egg-bound female. Uh, and you can take them to the vet, but at a certain point, I mean, after enough experience and enough years, um, aspirating an egg is not a difficult thing to do. Um, so I've taken several different approaches. I've um, manually palpated out eggs if they were close to the vent. Um, so if they're within maybe um, two inches or so of the vent, I think you're safe to palpate out gently. Um, but I think you should have a, it would help if you necropsied an animal first so you know how thin that oviduct is and what you're working with. Um, I would encourage anybody that that has access to a dead snake, you should cut them open and look at the internal anatomy so you can learn as much as possible. Um, and that helps in all kinds of things, including egg binding. So if they're, if it's close to the vent, you can manually palpate it out gently. Um, and then if they're higher up, um, you can aspirate them. Uh, I've also just let it ride before, just as an experiment. Um, to see, you know, maybe they'll pick them out in a week or so. And I've had females, um, you know, a week later they've kicked out a slug or even a fertile egg they retained. Um, I've also had females um, drop eggs a year later. Um, I had a female drop eggs two years later, and she dropped three little brown nuggets that she had retained and completely desiccated. They were hard as a rock. Wow. And then I've had uh, females die from sepsis um, from retained eggs. Um, little bird that you saw down there, uh, she's geriatric. She's an old animal. She's, uh, what, 01? Um, so she's 16 years old. She had her last clutch last year in 16, uh, and she currently has uh, two retained eggs, and because of her age, she's still owned by Eddie. Um, so when she laid her clutch, I uh, palpated her to check and see if there was any retained eggs, identified two um, that were still all the way up, you know, uh, close to the ovaries, uh, so probably uh, 10 to 12 inches from the vent. Um, so I called Eddie and consulted with him, and we both agreed due to her age we didn't want to do anything too intrusive. Uh, we chose not to aspirate them because they were so high up. Um, they're you know, fairly close to other significant organs. Uh, she wouldn't survive surgery, um, and we didn't intend to breed her again because of her age. Um, and she eats and defecates and sheds, and she's, perched every night looking for another meal. Um, she's doing fabulously. Uh, but mm. you know, she won't breed again. Pretty cool. Yeah, I have a I have a female Jaya that I don't know if you had seen it. I was kind of keeping everybody updated because I was so excited that, you know, I thought I was going to breed chondros and they paired up and 
she, you know, was gravid and everything, and then uh, she had her her prelay shed, and then about four days, I'd say four days later, she started dropping eggs, and I was like, uh, something's not right. Like instantly, it's just something's not right. They, she shouldn't have that shed, and then start dropping eggs, and so uh, I called the vet, and she, well, she dropped, I think, I want to say five or six eggs, and then she stopped. And I can, you could see that she still had eggs in her. And so, you know, I, I called Bill, and he put me in touch with a really good vet in Mansfield, Texas. And he, he keeps chondros as well, so that's, like, so great to, to have a vet like that. And took her out there, you know, he checked her out, gave her a shot, and said that she still had some in her. Uh, gave her the shot and just said, you know, watch her. She should be able to push him out and to let him know by Monday. So, of course, nothing came out. So Monday I'm back up there and I'm like, you know, nothing came out. What's the next step? And he said, we're probably going to have to have surgery. He's like, I'm going to see if I can palpate him out first, which so he put her under and he said he was able to palpate out three of them. And then three of them, the the last three had adhered to her ovaries. And so he had to go in there and, do surgery and remove her her uh, her oviducts and stuff. So she's just a pet now. She's doing really well. I mean, she's taking off, but she's she she won't ever breed. Yep. Right. It's it's you know it's part of it, man. I'm I'm happy she's still alive. You know, there was there's that big will she make it through the surgery? And you know, I probably I'd say three weeks after her surgery, I tried to feed her and gave her you know a normal adult mouth, and she ate it, and then. Probably a day and a half, two days later, she regurged, and I tried again two weeks later, same size mouth. She ate it, then she regurged. I think she ended up regurging three times, and I called her. They said, go down, give her like a hopper. So Mm -hmm. I tried to give her a hopper. She wouldn't even take it, and probably four weeks after the last regurge, she finally took the hopper, and she kept it down, and I was so excited, and since then, she hasn't looked back, and she's... She's got a bit more of an attitude now, but she's she's good. She's doing real good. You know, and, and for some reason in the past, so two things you mentioned. Um, did he use oxytocin for the shot? I I I, I want to say yes. I think that's what he used. Yeah, that's what I've that's what that, he gave her. I've got that paperwork. Yeah, it, it, it is um, right, Bill. Yeah. I have yet Jason, to hear of... <laughs> I, I was just going to say, Jason will tell you it's not effective or not real effective in, in snakes. Yeah, I've, I've yet to hear of um, a successful application um, where it could be directly attributed to oxytocin. Um, I, I just haven't heard of a successful case. But the other thing about regurge... Um, for some reason in the past like two years, I've had several younger animals um, regurge. And this is also at a time where I've slowed down my size and frequency of feeding. Um, so, you know, I've questioned whether it was my feeder source, um, size of prey, but regardless, um, I've had four four instances of chronic regurge Um, and talking with my vet, he suggested using flagell, which is typically used for 
um, Cochistan parasite load, right? Um, but it also has an anti-inflammatory effect specifically on the digestive tract. Um, so the first two animals I ended up losing, and on necropsy, um, they both demonstrated ulcers and stomatitis. Uh, so they both had pea-sized ulcers in their stomach. Um, so when they would feed, you know, that causes the release of digestive enzymes and acids into the stomach, and that would irritate the ulcer and cause them to regurge. Um, so for these last two, within the past year, um, I gave them uh, like 14 days dosage of flagell, so every other day, and I can't remember the dosage, um, and they both recovered fabulously where they're back on regular size meals, um, you know, after about two months of treatment and, you know, just small meals, things like that. But um, just something I've noticed in, you know, recent keeping that, you know, Keep in mind, if you have regurge issues, you should talk to your vet possibly about using flagels and anti-inflammatory, especially if you're having chronic uh, regurge issues. Because in my experience, once a chondro starts regurging, um, it usually ends up in fatality. Yeah, that's what, and that's what I was told that, you know, she's regurging. They're like, at least she had surgery, she's regurging, she's probably going to die. And... You know, I dropped down that size, and she's she's fine. You know, she's been putting her weight back on. And I feed specifically mice. You know, I know there's some people that do the rats and stuff. I I gave her a small rat just to get a little bit more size on her because she hadn't eaten for a while. But I I generally just do mice. But uh, she's she's good. She's just she was so passive, and you know, you could touch her, reach in there, and she just wouldn't do anything. And she had her surgery, and she turned into another snake. You know, you reach in there now, and you touch her, she's going to turn around and pop you. <laughs> she's just like, don't touch me. Jason, what are your uh, what are your thoughts about uh, feeding mice versus rats versus ASFs? Or what, what's Birds. your feeling on it? Birds. Um, I'm not a huge fan of rats. Uh but I have had animals that only fed on rats. Um, and, you know, I I think their natural prey is probably more like rats um, based on the field work that was done. You know, I don't think they're eating just, just the rodents that are in PNG. You know, I think they're eating a lot of rats and species similar to that as far as the hair goes. Um but in my collection, mice have been just fine. Uh, if I have, you know, when when you place an order to get chick down for scenting, you got to buy 25 of them, um, and those don't <laughs> just get thrown away. So uh, usually those go to, you know, the indigos will get most of them, but um, I'll mix it up and, you know, give the occasional bird to the occasional snake, uh, but I think in terms of the size of prey and the cost, um, it just makes sense to feed mice. I bred ASF for a while, and they were pretty much the perfect prey. Um, I just can't uh, 
I don't have access to an affordable source of African softwares. Otherwise, you know, if I could get them for, you know, 25 cents up to a dollar each, like I pay for my mice, then I would consistently feed ASS, I think. Um, hmm. I just don't have regular, regular affordable access to them. So mice are pretty much my go-to prey animal. Um, but I have other animals in the collection, like you might have seen the bread lie and the diamonds um, and the indigos um, and the black milks, and they all eat rats for the most part. So it's not like I'm adverse to rats for all species, um, but mice just need to work for green trees. Have you tried the uh, the, the reptilinks? I have not. I mean, they sound expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're like, they're made with venison and rabbit and shit like that. And, you know. You don't want to eat that well. Yeah, I do eat that well, but I go out and kill it myself. And I'm, I'm definitely not going to give my elk to my green trees. I work too hard for it. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Bill, you used, you used uh, the Reptilinks, haven't you, Bill? I, I've had um, minimal experience with them. I thought it was, in concept, a great um, prey item for, in, for particular hatchling um, chondros because, you know, there's not very much nutrition in a day-old or a two-day-old mouse pink. Um, so I love the concept of the Reptilink for getting uh, very small green trees going. And I've had a couple of this clutch that I just recently hatched take a Reptilink. The problem is with the very small ones, they're not in a casing. And so when the baby chondro does uh, attack it and it tries to wrap it, it just turns into a paste. Uh, so the only way they'll take it is if you can get them to just open their mouth and just kind of eat it. And, and that's very difficult to get a baby green tree to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they sound expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you, uh, when you, when you, I pretty much assume you, you've frozen thawed. Yep. And do you, uh, how do you thaw them out? Because I know some people will put them in a bag and then put them in water and thaw them out like that, or, you know, just set them out for room temp. You know, me personally, when I thaw mine out, I just dump them in the water, like in the water. And I feel like, you know, I'm giving them more hydration. I don't, I don't dry them off. Like as soon as they kind of thaw out and cool down a little bit, I put it right in space, soaking wet. And I just feel like that helps a little bit more with hydration, you know, because a lot of people, I don't see them drink. I don't think they're drinking. I'm just like, well, I don't know if they're drinking or not, but when I feed them, they're getting some water there. So, uh, if I'm doing feeding trials with uh, hatchling green trees, I'll put them in hot water uh, to warm them up. Um, but otherwise, I just set my rodents in um, just tubs. I just have you know regular six-quart tubs. And then I put them directly under my room fan. Um, I don't soak them at all. And then they thaw out over... 
a couple hours or so, um, and that's all I do. And the one thing that's nice about that is the whole room smells like rodents. Well, not good <laughs> for me, but just for the snakes. Um, and then they, most of the most of the snakes get super active and they start cruising around. Um, they start perching. Um, they get into hunting postures. They just get a lot more active with that smell of rodent. Um, but no, I, I just air, air saw them underneath a fan in the room. Cool, cool. Yeah, they are. Man, I love chondros. And this, this is Bill's fault, you know. <laughs> I think I need Chondro Anonymous or something because, yeah. you know, and it's you can't you can't have just even if you don't want to breed them, it's like you'll have that that first one, and it's so fun. Then it starts to go through its color change, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, I need another one, and then it starts, and it's just oh, it's never ending. Yep. <laughs> They are uh, they are definitely cra- the crack of uh, reptile keeping. Absolutely. Well, guys, we are already fifteen minutes over our allotted two hours. So, um, Evan, do you have anything else that you wanted to go over, or Jason, did you have anything else? Uh, any other uh, pearls of wisdom you want to lay out on us? Uh no, I'm I'm good. I know we're just uh trying to get some dates together for Southern Carpet Fest and get that going. It'd be nice if Jason and Buddy could come out to Southern Carpet Fest and then, you know, get that that knowledge dropped on on us face to face. Well, maybe we can make that happen. Yeah, we'll see. When is it? Uh we're looking at probably the the last weekend of April or the first weekend of May. That's that's what we've had it at I think the past two years and that seems to work out really well for most people. The temps down here are great and so um, I can tell you the last weekend of April will not work for me, but the first weekend of May could be a possibility. All right, that's so we the can end set up my... carpet fest bill just for Buddy. Duly noted. We'll call it Buddy <laughs> Right. Yeah. Don't don't count on me for anything until graduate school is over. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. No baby no baby chondros, no Tinley. That's it. When is that when is that looking to be over over for you, Jason? Uh December twenty eighteen I graduate. That's my wife's gonna finish her master's in education at the same time. So then I'll then I'll start thinking about breeding green trees and flying around the country to drink beer and talk about green trees. <laughs> yeah, hey, we hey, missed it, Tommy. I oh I'm sorry, I was gonna ask Buddy if uh what if there was any movement on uh ICAST too. Um we're still working on it. We're trying to figure out the um whether to do same format where we actually had a, a, a show uh, incorporated with with the event. Um, I know, uh, you know, Jason. He was able to. They brought out Jason and Ryan brought out animals, and they they vended. And we're trying to figure out, you know, what the value is for that. Um, 
because we know, you know, and I look at myself the same way is that, you know, I don't do very many reptile shows and um, if it makes it more attractive for people to attend both as either a vendor or maybe as someone coming out as a potential customer, uh, we're, we're trying to weigh that all into it. That is how that said, having snakes on the location is the number one hurdle we're trying to overcome right now, just because um, a lot of places just say absolutely not. Um, and then the places that do, obviously, um, they feel that they can, <clears throat> excuse me, charge you a premium uh, for allowing you to do that. So um, we're trying to weigh that that all out and, and maybe try to get everything together so possibly in August of 18 we can, uh, you know, have another ICAST. So, you know, that that's really right now our number one stumbling block is trying to find a place that's going to let us – that that we can have, and if we decide to do do the vending aspect, um, to allow that as well. So that that's right now the issues we're working through, um, and you know, just stay tuned. Um, as soon as we figure out something, um, we'll we'll let everyone know. Yeah, I had because I, I I didn't know anything about the first one really until after it was like going on. And I didn't even really know what it was. And I'm hearing about this. I'm like, oh, I missed this. And it's just like, man. So really want to make this right, one. Right, right. Yeah, a lot of people have, have said that. And we're hoping that, um, you know, actually this summer will be the 2018 will be five years since the last one. And, um, you know, we're hopeful that the that there's enough good good vibes out there that people want to come back and, and do it again and um, get together. But like I said, it's also, you know, it is an investment for folks too. We understand it's difficult. I had, you know, Jason can tell you, you know, he's the same boat as I am, you know, have a family, you have a career. Um, you can't, it's hard to cash in all those chips um, on a regular basis to, you know, get away from, you know, just walk away from your family for a weekend and, and go do the snake nerd thing. So, um, you know, we understand that that's a challenge for a lot of people. And so, you know, we're trying to figure it all out, trying trying to, you know, if it's going to happen, we want it to be a really good event. We don't want it to be mediocre. And, um, you know, so, you know, it's everything that's moving us forward is making sure that, A, it's going to be at least as good as it was before and that, um, you know, the and hopefully we have more people attend, hopefully. That'd be great. Awesome. Jason, I really enjoyed uh, seeing your collection while you're doing the show. That was really neat. That Yeah, that was a great idea. That that really, I've never thought about someone doing that, but that was great. I thought you'd appreciate the bleeding, too. You know, I bled for your show, <laughs> No, no well, I'm going to ask you if there were any more. Band-Aids in your room. Uh, no, because I'm norm- normally not, I'm not dumb enough to reach into an adult indigo <laughs> enclosure at night, much less a okay. condo, and I did both tonight, so. Your indigo, is it, a, is it Eastern or Texas? Uh, Eastern. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I just got, uh, one more, I got, I got one more thing to say, and, uh probably get off of here and 
let you guys have that. But uh, I just I just really wanted to uh, tell Bill thanks, man, because it's just – and I know I joke around and say, oh, it's all your fault, but, man, like I, I owe you the world because this is – I, I love Condros, and you just like – really kicked that into gear and being able to see him firsthand and talk to you. And I mean, it just like, I can't thank you enough. And I just, man, like, I, I don't even have the words really is, you know, I just appreciate all the help and, and just teaching me and putting up with my craziness and shit. And it's, you're great, man. I appreciate all of it. Just pass it along, man. The only reason I was able to do this because people like buddy and Jason were there, the, generation before me to to pass it on to me so just pass it on to to new people and keep doing what you're doing definitely definitely well thanks again for inviting me to be on and letting me ask jason a bunch of questions and talk to him and it was great i agree, I agree. now i gotta go next get a bit and clean some cages <laughs> <laughs> next time we'll do it in person Definitely, definitely. It sounds, yes. It sounds good, guys. All right. I'm out of All here, right, too. Buddy. I got to go teach in the morning. But thanks, guys. That was All right. Fun. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, guys. No problem. All right, my friend. Well, yeah. What you think of that show? Man, I always, you know, at the end of the show, I always say, man, that, that was really awesome. That was a great show. But to be able to talk to Jason, uh, you know, in kind of a one-on-one format like that, that's that's really cool. Yeah, yep. Jason's one one of those guys. It's like I said, he's been around forever. He's a quality person, and you know, you're getting great great advice if it's coming from Jason. Um, the live thing on Facebook. Um, yeah. I th- yeah. I think I, I think we probably got podcast of the year. You know those guys over at Morelia Python Radio, <laughs> they're gonna have to up their game this year. They've I'll tell you what I I don't think I don't know this for sure, but I don't think they've ever had a Facebook Live on any of their podcasts. Yeah, we had you know, snake pictures, blood, without yeah, band-aids. Bite. I mean it was looking yeah. episode Mesh of Walking Condors. Dead. <laughs> Messing with condors at night. I mean, awesome. Breaking all the rules. Breaking the rules. Damn right. <laughs> all right. All right, Let's Bill. What are your up. thoughts for the next? Uh, yeah, what, just real quick. What are you thinking for the? Oh. Any 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 thoughts for the next uh, next couple shows or? Well, I know we've talked about this. Uh, I'm a little bit upset with our brethren over there on um, Morelia Python Radio because I didn't hear the show, and I but I think it happened. I think Justin Julander was on their show promoting his book. Do you know anything about that? I think you're right. It might have been the weekend after the Tinley update, if my memory is correct. Yeah, or coming up, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed that they kind of beat us to the punch there because I do want to, and and I've spoken with him and he 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 I think he's glad to come on our show as well and talk about talk about his uh, new book, uh, the book that he and Terry Phillip uh, just recently released. So I'd I'd like to have one or both of those guys on if they would join us. 
Yeah, that'd be great. I know that the uh, the book came out right before Tinley, and a lot of the Condor guys were talking about it in depth in our casual Condor meetings uh, at whatever that bar place was we met every night. Yeah, Bananas. Yeah, that's it. There you go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah. you know, I was also thinking uh, Evan had talked about uh, Dan Mulary's, uh video of him and Wyego looking for Condro. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe we could get him on the show. That might be a fun show. Oh, that'd be that'd be fantastic. Make it happen, man. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Use your use your extensive uh contacts out there and make that happen. Okay, I'm on it. Okay, buddy. All, All right, right, my Bill, friend. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah. It's been it was good to be back with you. And um, Absolutely. We'll be, yep. Uh, we'll be going into I think uh, year four for GTP Keeper Radio. Next time we're back, That's crazy. That's crazy. I know. We're almost cranking out one show a month, almost. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> All right, Bill. All right. All right, my friend. I'll have, I will talk right, to you. Have, look forward to the next show. Yep, you bet. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you at the next episode. Have a good night. Take care, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.